listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. Connecting with Melbourne this morning, we're excited, and of course with Chapel, and if you're online, and I, I thought today would be great. A uh, number of people said, how did we go with Legacy? Anybody really keen to find out what happened with Legacy? And uh, if you're a part of life, or even if you're visiting today, you may not be aware, but we're believing that God is going to do something supernaturally. And when you say, well, what's that? We're believing in three and a half years to raise $45 million. Reason for that is then we would be debt-free in Auckland. And of course, Melbourne and Auckland, we're working together so that we can be positioned by the year, at the end of 2020, into the year of 2001, 2021, uh, we would be able to have $20 million worth of community impact. Not just happening once, but every year. We're believing that the church is gonna step up Become the place of need. And so I'm still saying, come on, all of us, consider what you can do. And so what's come in to date, our giving units, which represents families or individuals or couples, we've got 1,879 that have already committed. And and yet I'm believing, and I I want you to hear my heart, because I know many of us are yet to step across that line, believing that there'll be 3,000 groups that are going to say, You know, we're not just leaving this to a few. We're going to do, and don't let the enemy rip you off. If you say, I don't have much, a little bit can go a long way when everybody does it. And so, uh, by the way, in the seat in front of you today is one of those legacy envelopes. And I'd encourage any family, any individual, any couple that have not committed to take it home this week and say, God, what could we do? How could we do that? And so uh, we've got those giving units and the uh, new commitments for the next 12 months The amount that has been given over and above what was already pledged by Gideons. So the builders in Gideons, the new ones that have come in this year, is a total of 5,094,291. I think God does deserve a praise for that. And then, of course, if you're into maths, you'll say, well, Paul, what does that all mean? What does that add up? Because many Gideons are giving over a three and a half year period. So what has come in and what is committed by the Gideons, collectively the builders and Gideons, we are currently up to a commitment of 30,641,881. And Melbourne, well done. Come on, North, South, Central, online, in the chapel, of course, well done that collectively. And that figure is just profound. Uh, we still have, by the way, last year's commitments from the builders, uh, 800,000 of that amount still to come in. And if you're lagging behind, don't let guilt or condemnation get you. Just say, God, what's the answer? And how can I fulfill it this year? And let me just say, even on the amount of uh, 1,879 units, of course, there'll be numbers of people that are going, well, we did it last year and we haven't filled out a commitment Uh, form for this coming year and we're just going to do it be great if you filled out the form because then we know exactly how many units we're having and a receive to date in cash of that 30 million is 16 million 639 so we've got a balance of just on 14 million to come in and many of the Gideons of course are preparing and believing God and stepping into that to happen but to have 30 million already committed you might go yeah but that's a long way from 45 well God is the one that makes long things short Big things, impossible things, a reality. And so great to be connected. But today, let's keep praying for that. 
And again, if you're, if you're not a part of it, make sure you take that envelope and just pray about it because I'm believing we'd have 3,000 collective team. We can do that as a church. But I am honoured today to have Pastor Robert and Pastor Amanda Ferguson with us from the Hillsong Church in Sydney. And they're going to come and join me on stage. So why don't you come up, up right now? And I'd love us again, every campus. Let's stand to our feet. Let's welcome Pastor Robert and Amanda as they join me. Make him feel warm and welcomed. All right, you may be seated. And I'm aware that many times online or even in church and our different multiple services, people are here and they go, well, what's happening here? Well, we're in the, the middle of a series that we've called Elephant in the Room. How many know what that feels like? To be in a situation where you know there are questions that need to be answered, but nobody wants to go there because it's uncomfortable. So last week, if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go online. We dealt with the subject of identity. How the fact that uh, if there is a designer, then there is a design. And we're in a world that's shifting and the margins are all changing. But once you discover intimately who God is, you begin to discover yourself. And today, it's so great to have Robert and Amanda. Welcome. Thank you very much. Wonderful to be here. Good to see you all. And Amanda? Yes, it's lovely to be here. Thank you still you. happily married with Robert? Nearly 43 years. <laughs> yep. We're used to each other now. Used to each other, yeah. Are, are you sure you made the right decision 43 years ago? <laughs> well, it's a bit late to change my mind now. <laughs> Seems all right to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we love these guys. They have been part of our journey here at Life for many, many years. And today we're looking at the subject of why God. I think if we're honest, we have a belief in God. But many times it's like, well, God, how come? Why did that happen? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to Robert first just to set this up. And uh, it's just so, such an honor to have you here, both of you. But, uh, you know, the world we live in, if God is all able, we are often confused, aren't we, with the question of why? We certainly are. Can I just say it's a huge honor and privilege to be here, Paul and Marie and everyone here. Um, we've been speaking at the Young Adults um, Gathering over the last couple of days and had a fantastic time with them. But in a minute, Paul is going to ask us some really, really difficult questions. And we're going to do our very best to give some answers after many years of experience. But... I think we need to first understand that we don't know everything. It's what I call a theology of ignorance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 to 13, it talks about the fact that now we see through a glass darkly. In other words, we don't know everything. One day, we will know even as we are fully known. So what Paul has asked me to do is just to spend two or three minutes just sort of setting the scene, and then he's going to pose these difficult questions. But I want to establish right at the outset that I don't know. <laughs> but Amanda might. Yeah. <laughs> we, I brought the wise one with me. A number of years ago, I was sitting on the front row of a, of a meeting like this, and a lady was leading worship, and she was pregnant, and she, her baby had been diagnosed as anencephalic. In other words, the baby had no brain. Now, we were believing for a miracle. I have seen numerous miracles over the years, extraordinary miracles. But on this occasion, God gave me a vision. 
And I was standing at the funeral of the baby. And God, and I spoke a word over the family, and I said this, this baby may not have a brain, but does have a spirit. Now, exactly that took place. The baby tragically died, and I was asked to do the funeral, and I spoke that over the funeral. But here's the question. Why did God show me that? Why did God not heal the baby? Why did the baby die? What is it like to lose a baby? All of the answers to those questions, wisely, are I don't know. I don't know what it's like to lose a baby. I don't know why the baby died. I don't know why God showed me that. I don't know why he healed the baby. In that passage in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, uh, we need to concentrate on two things, the things we know and understand the things we don't. I know I am fully known, but I also know that I don't know everything. That requires both trust and mystery. Job chapter 23, I've been here when I've been through a tough time. Job 23, Job says, I know you know where I am, but I don't know where you are. Most of us have felt like that at some point in your life. I know you know where I am, but I haven't a clue where you are. And the problem is incorporated in that text. It says, when we were a child, we thought like a child, spoke like a child, and reasoned like a child, and our problem is that we still do. We speak without knowledge, we think without humility, and we reason without a really understanding of truth. So we've got to get over that and grow up. And it says at the end of that passage, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Well, can I just encourage you as to what that means? Faith believes God is God. And if he's God, I'm not going to understand everything he does. But love knows God is good. He is always good. And hope expects God to do good. So those are the three foundational things on which we're going to base all these questions. God is God. God is good. And God is going to do good. Many, many years ago, and with this I'll pass back to Paul, uh, a man by the name of St. Anthony lived in a desert in the 4th century. He was the early uh, monastic father, one of the desert fathers. And he used to go along with his mentees and say, could you give me the answer to this question? And they, of course, would give them the answer. And then he would go to the next one. And then he came to Abbot Joseph. And he said, could you give me the answer to this question? And he said, no, I can't. I don't know. And St. Anthony said, finally, someone with wisdom. That's the theology of ignorance, and I think that's a good foundation on which to start. It's, it, yeah, thank God for that wisdom. <laughs> I, I think in my journey as well, you, you realize early on that the human brain doesn't have a capacity to understand the infinite wisdom from which God operates. And it's a challenging, and we have had many questions sent in, many of them are, are aligned, but one of the big ones was this is, so if God is God, and we know that he's capable and he's love and he's fully able, why then would he allow, it doesn't create, but why would he allow things like poverty, 
Why, why does he allow suffering in the world? Why does he allow war to take place and uh, a real sense of unfairness that would be deemed by many? I mean, we, we leave, live here in New Zealand or Australia or wherever we're watching from, but a lot of the world is ravaged with war. And these questions would come out of the parents as they lose their young ones and young ones that lose their parents. But why, if God is able, does this stuff happen? Amanda? Um, yeah, ask me a simple one there. Uh, look, I think a couple of things we, we think about. One is that we, we live in a fallen world. But maybe before you even think about living in a fallen world is the question, well, why did God create us so that we would fall? You know, um, what's with that? And that comes to the bigger question of free will. Because if we have the capacity to choose good, we must also have the capacity to choose evil. Otherwise, it's not a choice. And so right from the beginning, there was that potential for us to choose one way or another. So then you'll go, well, that wasn't very clever of God. You know, he obviously knew everything, knew we would likely to choose evil. Why did he give us free will? But the only world worth having is a world with free will. Otherwise, we're just robots. Otherwise, there's no choice. So all the things we love about life, love and joy and goodness, have to come out of free will. Otherwise, they're meaningless. We're just programmed. So I think if you're going to embrace the fact we have a free will, then all those other possibilities have to come. If we're going to choose good, we can choose evil. If we're going to choose love, we can choose hate. Otherwise, we're not free. I think it's a really good idea to go back to the Garden of Eden and see that God, as a good God, created a good world. And it wasn't he that messed up. It was we that messed up. Humanity chose the wrong path, and we messed it all up. I have a book at home on uh, people who have failed, and the first chapter is called Adam and Eve, the Original Idiots. <laughs> and we tend, to, we tend to blame God. We tend to blame uh, our partners, blame er everyone else, but we all chose ill. And the fact is, God is constantly wooing us with his love and trying to restore us and showing us mercy, as Amanda said, giving us the choice to love him. And I think, in a sense, of course he could end suffering tonight. He could end evil tonight. But imagine if he decided at 12 o'clock tonight to end all evil, which one of us would be left? So he has chosen to extend our choices so that we choose him. There's a famous letter that was written to the Times. There was a big debate going on about, you know, why all the suffering? Why, why is this wrong with the world? Why is this? And G.K. Chesterton, who was a, a well-known Christian at the time, wrote a simple little letter. He said, what's wrong with the world? I am. And that was the answer. I think it's an amazing thing to, to take that picture and say, yeah, God created perfection where there was no evil, there was no war, there was no sickness, there was no death, yet we chose. And so we are in this world in a, and still in a time or a season of free choice. 
And people then say, well, why doesn't God finish it all if it's, there's so much anarchy and so much sickness and so much depravity that's going on? But I, I think my response to that is the Father heart of God is still wanting more to come home, more to find that if they make a decision to follow him, they will find eternity and find intimacy with him. And we're in the season of, well, why God? And it's kind of like, why, why does God allow uh, great people to die horrifically? I mean, that's another question that came in. And my first response was that, well, each of the disciples died horrifically. Stephen died hor horrifically. Jesus died horrifically. And we look at it retrospectively, understanding what God used that for. But in the moment, they were asking the same questions we asked today. Why did that happen? And God is going to use that for his glory. But it's kind of like we get stuck, I think. I mean, it'd be good just to talk about this. We get stuck. But if God could, isn't he not being God by stepping in? And that's a challenge for a lot of people. If he can do that, it's almost like we blame God for the death of somebody unexpectedly rather than realize, no, this is an outcome of man's rejection to God, not God's active involvement. I think um, what I said in 1 Corinthians 13 talks about we reason like a child. And we think rather arrogantly, I think, that we can understand God, but God is spirit. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we're never going to fully grasp him because he is beyond us. If he wasn't beyond us, we don't need God at all. He is God, and therefore we've got to think like that. And in 1 Corinthians 1.21, he says that, in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him. In other words, we're never going to fully grasp God. But the fact is, uh, I love what you said about the fact that he extends the season of mercy in that sense. I don't know if you've thought about this, but the oldest person in the Bible, a man by the name of Methuselah, lived over 900 years, and in... The year that he died, judgment came. The flood came. So why did he live so long? Because God was extending the period of mercy. The reality is God is constantly looking for opportunities to save people, looking for opportunities to show mercy. It's just that we can't fully grasp his longevity or his understanding. We've got very limited understanding. So that's where faith comes in. And if we didn't need faith, we don't need God. I think we also um, need to be careful about some of the reasons we come up with. You know, I think often people who are, who are suffering or going through illness um, get added burdens put on them by people saying, oh, you must be sinning or you must have done something wrong or there must be something, you know, but... but the great answer to that, or one of them, is in John 9 with the, the man born blind. And the disciples say, well, who sinned, you know, the man or his parents? I mean, I always think it's a bit harsh to think that the man had sinned, you know, even before he'd been born. But still, who'd sinned? They said, who, who was who a sinner? Jesus said, neither. Um, sometimes things happen for other reasons. And, you know, we must be careful not to look at someone who's already suffering 
and then start to wonder what they've done wrong. We just live in a fallen world. Bad things happen at times. And um, our job is to bring comfort and hope and healing, not to bring condemnation. It's a big one. And I was just going to add, that man showed the wisdom that I talked about a little earlier because he said, look, I don't know all the answers because he's asked, you know, what's happening? He said, I don't know whether Jesus is a sinner or not, but I'll tell you what I do know. I know that once I was blind and now, now I see. In other words, he said, there are many things I don't know, but this I do know. I think that's a great act of wisdom right from a new, a new believer. Somebody sent in and said, uh, again, why would God allow someone, a child, a baby, to be born with disability? Um, and the second part of that is, will they be whole in heaven? I think, again, on the line that we're saying is we are all living out the consequences of our rejection of God. The fact that we die, the truth is that was never God's intention. And we have to go through the death process. That was never in God's created reason for humanity. And so, yeah, we are all born. And again, I say to people, what, what do we term perfection? So, so what are we asking to be born into? We're born into, again... We're born with sin. We're born with the echo of sin through the generations. And uh, the fact is, the Bible makes it really clear that all of the consequences of sin, all of the outcomes of sin will be gone in eternity. And so perfection from God's point of view is not physical perfection. And that's why we, stip, um, what's the word? We, we kind of react at times when things happen physically because God is working inside out, not outside in. And so there is, again, mutations that take place. There's all sorts of chromosomal differences that take place. But we've drifted from what God intended us to live like. And all of us are subject to that. I look at the mirror now and I say, oh, my gosh, God, what do you allow? <laughs> but seriously, it's kind of like... That. Yeah. Thanks, Robert. <laughs> it's kind of like... Why? But this has all never been God's original intention. And so... Just be assured that whatever happens in this world, as we pass through this season, God is again fully able to cause us to live out what he created us for. And I'm not sure fully we'll ever experience that in our humanity. Uh, which takes me to another question. So let me throw this at Robert. So is God in control then of this world? He's God, but is he in control of this world? Look, the Bible makes it very clear that he is sovereign and therefore he is in control, but obviously he allows certain things as we've established. I think we've, love knows that God is good. He is a restorer and he is a redeemer. We've got to start with that premise because the Bible says in Luke 11, though we are evil, we know how to give good gifts to our children. Well, where do we get that capacity from? God. Even though we are evil, even though we are flawed, we know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more? God is a restorer. So we, we often don't think this, but when Adam and Eve messed up, they not only became flawed image bearers with a capacity for good and a capacity for evil, but the entire creation groaned and was flawed as a result. So we not only flawed and broken people. We live in a flawed and broken world. But the Bible says that God is going to restore us, my body, even though it is fading and falling to bits now, like yours. 
Um, Possibly a little worse. Well, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Question of judgment. Depends on your mirror. Um, <laughs> but, but my body, the Bible says, will be redeemed. But it's not just my body that will be redeemed and restored in heaven. But the entire creation is waiting for its redemption. So he is, as we just sang in that song today, he is going to restore the entire world, which is phenomenal. So again, you've got to think God is good and he knows what he's talking about. So is our problem, let me just cut in there, is our problem then that we think God is micromanaging? I was just going to say that, that, um, you know, if, if you ever watched the film Bruce Almighty, that's a great example of when somebody was given the potential to do everything and started to micromanage answering everybody's prayers with yes and it was complete disaster because a yes for one person could be a no for someone else and the whole thing about miracles is that they aren't something that happen all the time they are they are um you know a, a reversal in, a, in effect of nature so they should be extraordinary rather than just all the time. God, God has set some things in motion and on occasion he will step in and do something miraculous. But most of the time he allows the world to function as it's set up. And I think for us the challenge is how do we then in the face of suffering and so on, how do we reflect God to those who are suffering? You know, we talk about, well, there's poverty, but the answer to poverty is us. You know, the answer to war is us trying to sort of be peacemakers. And so the wonderful thing is he includes us in that whole process. This may be a bit controversial, but I, I would put it like God is God and fully in control. Uh, I think because of the season we're in, that doesn't mean that God is fully in control of what's happening here. He's entrusted us with the choice. And so why could he allow 40,000 children to die every day from starvation? Well, he's created enough food to feed everyone seven times over, but it's our greed that stops that. Yeah, and so his love is still there to meet us. But I think one of the greatest dangers we have is we think God is literally micromanaging every detail. And every time we pray, God will just respond completely to that. And it's like you said, I think God steps into the season out of his grace and sovereignty, and we need to believe the miracles. But when that doesn't happen, then we're going to say, well, then there is a greater purpose, surely. Mm -hmm. And this whole thought of, again, is it God's purpose or my position that's most important? Mm -hmm. So is it my miracle that's most important, or is it God's purpose through this? And I think we've become very much enamored with a me-first gospel, so I can be completely committed to God as long as it all goes well and I never have pain and I never go through sickness. And it's like, no, God says, you realize you're in this snapshot, which is so small in eternity, that through your pain and through the things you're in, because that's what some people would say. Another question, we've got quite a lot of questions, so we'll keep moving. But uh, so I've been through some bad things. How then do I trust God? So how can I trust him if he, he's able, and it's not like he did it, but he didn't intervene in it? How can I trust him then? Which is a big question. 
a lot of people have, looking at, well, you know, I've been through this, and uh, I, I suppose just first up, my response would is that uh, our toughest situations create our greatest strength. How can we relate to a world that doesn't know God if we don't go through things? Count it all joy, brethren, when you go through these trials. Because what happens is you know that your testing produces, again, faith, and faith produces patience. And when patience is perfectly formed, you are entire, complete, lacking nothing. You're in a world that realizes you can go through this, but God's still God. Is our faith actually a miracle every time, or is it in the God we can trust? It's a big one. And, uh, and I think that's really significant. I mean, you know, I, I expect a lot of you could give um, testimony to the fact that it's when you've gone through a tough time that people who don't yet know Jesus watch you going through that, watch you trusting in the face of suffering, watch the strength that God gives you, and they are drawn to God when you suffer the same things that they suffer. And I, and I think that's a really powerful, powerful thing. I think um, in 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it talks about the fact that we're all going to go through tough times, but each of our tough times is slightly different. So even though we often think, if I've been through the same as you've been through, I can empathize with you. There is a sense in which my suffering is absolutely unique, your suffering is absolutely unique, and sometimes it's very unhelpful to say, I know what you're going through, because I don't know what you're going through. But in that passage, it says, the same comforter comforts me in my trouble so that I can comfort people in their trouble. In other words, I'm not sharing my suffering, I'm sharing the comfort. It is the comfort that I've received that I'm sharing. Because we tend to think it's all about us. I've gone through the same as you. Well, no, I haven't. I've gone through different things, but I've discovered that I have a comforter. And you too, in your suffering, can receive the same comfort. It's powerful. I, th I think sometimes if you read the New Testament and, again, look at it from a different point of view, you see Paul. So Paul now is locked in prison, and for eight hours a day, he is changed, chained to prison guards. He didn't see that of, where are you, God? He, he saw it as, this is an opportunity. Yeah. I'm not so much chained to them, they're chained to me. And so therefore, in that moment, I can share the God that I carry. And I think for all of us today, whatever service we're in, you might be in the darkest of valleys and the, the deepest of night. But I'll never forget Phil, Pastor Phil Camden, who was part of life for seven years, when he contracted motor neurons disease. And he began to share, because again, his prognosis is not many years of life left and debilitating muscle ability through the, it's, it, it's a horrible death. But he looked at it like this, if God is allowing it, then he's given me a passport into a community. So if God allowed the baby to die, if God allowed that person not to be healed and die of cancer, then God is going to use this for something. So I've got to think purpose, not human position. And that is a challenge for all of us to live. It's when I had the melanoma, same thing. I had to come to a point, God, you can step in. Naturally, this could be dealt with. If you don't, then am I ready to go? And 
And I, I think we're in a, a postmodern Christianity where it's like it's all about me. But it's actually about the purposes of God through me. So that death has no sting when we understand God will use it for purpose. Rather, and that doesn't mean we don't stop believing for miracles, but we have to stand understanding that God is going to use that. I, I just, again, I want to encourage everybody today that you know, Paul said this, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to go through darkness, there will be gain. I'm not going to question God and step back from him. I'm going to bring him into that position. It's a passport to bring the goodness of God. Uh, another question is this question is, how come uh, non-believers seem to get more blessed than Christians? <laughs> I think my favorite scripture on, on that comes in Psalm 73, where the psalmist is having a good old grumble that, you know, the wicked are prospering and all of this, and he's having a hard time. And then he says, you know, that he had nearly stumbled over that until he went into the sanctuary. And then he remembered in God's presence that ultimately the fate of the wicked is not a good one and he is in God's hands and things are okay. So it was, he, he goes on this journey that we can so understand. Um, but, you know, sometimes... Good, bad people or non-Christians prosper just because they're working hard, you know, and um, doing the doing the right things. Um, there's there's no sort of monopoly on that. In in Luke chapter 16, which is one of the, a really difficult parable, basically uh, Jesus says sometimes the the wicked um, know how to use money better than the righteous, and they are wiser when it comes to the things of the world than Christians are. Sometimes Christians uh, are messed up, not because bad things have happened, they're just doing stupid things. <laughs> and sometimes they need a bit of encouragement on some practical guidelines. I think that's so true. It's kind of like, well, I'm just believing God's gonna do it, so now get up and work. Work hard. Uh, great scripture, go to the end. Proverbs 6, go to the end, you sluggard. <laughs> Consider her ways and get some wisdom. People say, well, why, why do people outside the church prosper? Because they've got a gift and they're using the gift well. Yes. So it, it's not like, well, I gave my tithe, I just sit back. It's kind of like there is a whole... By the way, somebody wrote a great book, I think it was called God, Money and Me, where uh, <laughs> you, you, you can find a pathway to break through financially. By the way, you can buy the book and never live the pathway. So that's what I would say is, yeah, people will be blessed if they identify their gift and they use their gift well with wisdom. But then God promises to step in when we do it his way and add extra wind into the sails. Uh, somebody else, and we haven't, time's going so quick. Should we go all day today? I think uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It's kind of like, well, I, I've, I'm standing in faith for my promise. I haven't seen it yet. How come? Look, the Bible says that you cannot please God without faith. Faith is absolutely essential. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And then goes through a whole list of people who have believed God 
and during their lifetime have not received the promise. And then the next chapter talks about keep going. God has got a way bigger understanding than we have and a way longer understanding. But when he comes back, Jesus, the Bible says when Jesus comes back, will he find faith on the earth? I don't know about you, but I would rather end my days in faith, not having received a promise, than ending my days distrusting God and having received a few. I want to stay in faith because it's about our relationship with God, not my understanding of reception of promises. And sometimes the promise is fulfilled in a way you don't expect. I remember a friend of mine contracted cancer and she had a promise for healing. And so every time, you know, she'd face a new challenge and she faced an awful lot over the next year, I'd say, how do you want me to pray for you? And she'd say, I'm believing for healing. We got to a point where she was now in a hospice, um, not doing well. And I went to see her and she said, look, the there's brain tumours back again and so on. Um, and I said, how do you want me to pray? And she said, well, I've received my healing. It just wasn't what I thought. And she had been estranged from her family, had nothing to do with her family, um, had be only become a Christian relatively recently. And she said, over this time, I've been reconciled to God and reconciled to my family and she said I might not have received a healing in my body but I've received a healing in my soul and that matters so much more to me and my bodily healing will come very soon in, right. in heaven and she was absolutely rejoicing that God had answered her I, th I think like a parent you have children that go well why can't I have that you will but why can't I have that? I think we've got to see that God sees things from eternity back, not our years. And yet God makes promises. Abraham and Sarah, we've touched on recently, a great example. It's like God gave the promise, so I can't see Isaac, but Isaac's coming, so we're not giving up. And then that full and completed obedience brought a breakthrough, not just for them, but others. And some of us will have the fruit of that prayer in eternity. Mm -hmm. But God doesn't see that as a failure. We do but God is committed to his purpose over our position. A couple of other ones that are big ones. We don't have a whole lot of time, but uh, why does brokenness, I've been through some pretty crazy stuff, hang around for so long? The pain of my past. Well, it's taken me 65 years to mess my life up with my choices. So why would it take a second to restore them? In other words, I, I have messed myself up by dumb things that I've done. God is committed to my restoration, but sometimes restoration takes time. Thankfully, sometimes restoration is immediate. But I, I often think that people just assume they, let's say, become a Christian. They've been drug addicts for, for 16 years. They become a Christian and they wonder why God doesn't completely restore them in the first few seconds. Well, it's taken a little time to mess their life up. It's going to take a little time to restore it. So I don't worry too much about that. Maybe I should. No, and I've said to people over the years, you, you get a harvest from seed. 
So just because forgiveness comes in a moment, there is still a harvest from former years. And so you need to declutter the garden by dealing with each bit of that outcome. Get people around you. That's why the Bible says get planted and get with people that can help you. You can't do it on your own. You won't be able to go to the depth of what needs to go alone. But realize there is a harvest from the decisions we've made. If you've always been negative, you find Christ in a moment. You can be forgiven, but you've still got negative thoughts that are programmed into your human computer. And so, again, wash your mind with the word of God. Get others around you. Um, another big one would be this thought that... Uh, you know, we're in a world that's changing really quickly. We, we touched on this last week. Shouldn't love, therefore, have the priority over truth? It's a big question. I think um, God is love, truth, righteousness, justice. All of those are aspects of God. Why do we think that one should trump the other? Um, but I think the other thing is that, uh, that love and truth are absolutely connected. Um, and that if we are going to really understand what love is, then we have to look at God's definition. So in our fallen world, what we think is love may not be what true love is. And so if we're really going to understand love, it's got to be linked to truth. Otherwise we are just understanding, you know, an aspect. And God, who is both love and truth, um, we read in Hebrews 12, it says that he disciplines those that he calls sons. He disciplines those that he loves. And so therefore, love and truth will always go together. It's not loving as a parent never to challenge your child with truth and bring truth into their life, you set them up to fail later on. The truly loving parent brings both love and accountability and truth into their child's life. It's an amazing challenge. We're in a world that doesn't understand, as you said, what love really means. If you love your children, you're going to discipline your children. If you're going to love your children, you're going to set them on the right path. And after last week, when we talked about identity, as I wrap this up, we, I just went away going, God, it's an amazing thing. And the picture I got is that truth is uncompromised, but truth is wrapped in grace. And grace is wrapped in love. And so I believe we're in a world that needs to know God in His fullness. And you say, well, then how do we approach this world with the truth of who God is. And people would say, well, you just got to tell them that this is what God and this compromise. I don't think it's that way. In fact, if I could draw it, I'd draw it like a bullseye. There's a central bit and then there's an outer bit and then a further outer bit. And basically, this is how I see it. This week, I've been pondering it all week that I believe God's calling us to connect through unconditional love. No matter who lives next to us, no matter who we work, it's kind of like there are no conditions on us loving you. That's not a compromise for your belief. That's the message of the gospel. God so loved everyone. He gave His Son. Not some. And again, we were created, all of us as humans, for the embrace of a loving Father. And we need to be the first up responders with unconditional love. Are you hearing me? The second thing is then we demonstrate an undeniable grace. So that 
love is supported by a grace. We've understood God's grace met us. We didn't deserve it. Soon as we have a finger of judgment, we don't understand grace. Because we don't understand how much God has met us. So we demonstrate that it's by God's grace. We have the joy you're asking about. It's by God's grace we find peace that you're asking about. And then really upon invitation, the centre is that we share an uncompromised truth. I want to wrap this up today. Here at Life, I want you to hear it clearly. I say it periodically. But we're not watering down the Word of God. It does not fit the current of society. It's the absolute truth. You remove some of the truth. You move Jesus out of the picture. He cannot be divided. He is who He is. But we connect through unconditional love. We demonstrate undeniable grace and we share uncompromised truth. And the truth is for all of us today, we could be in any of our services, could be online and God's saying, you know, if you find me, you're going to find love. You're going to find grace and you're going to find truth. And the truth that you find is going to set you free. this podcast from life if you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message visit lifeau.org